Hello, and welcome to another episode of Did God Really Say That? I want to begin this episode by reiterating the nature of my discussions. With the resurgence of textual criticism and biblical doctrine centered around rightly dividing the word, I have wholeheartedly enjoyed great expository teaching. There's nothing more satisfying than listening to teaching that unlocks something new and profound and is usually associated with some historical or contextual reference. I'm thankful for a Berean mentality in which scriptures are searched with the intent of finding the truth. I'm also fully aware that topical preaching can and has suffered from misinterpretation and personal gain. I'm not attempting to motivate others to follow my personal convictions, but rather get people to think about the intent of scriptures and how they can apply in a personal and practical manner. I guess what I'm saying is, while I understand that studying and understanding the scriptures in truth is, is rightfully important, it could be argued that it's equally important to practice these truths. Isn't this the heart of the book of James? My previous YouTube channel, Be a Doer, centered around this concept, written in James 1.22 through 25. It states, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. I feel like once you get to this particular subject matter, it's often met with skepticism, whether it be the fear of works-based salvation or perhaps having to apply scripture when it becomes difficult. As I will discuss in this episode, I find that church movements that center around expository preaching inevitably find themselves contexting away scriptures for the sake of comfort. This is why teachings from Paul can be so criticized today. Taking the extra step to sacrificially apply the teaching of scriptures has taken a backseat to grace and eternal assurance. Romans 6, 1-2 states, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? In the future, I desire to discuss the topic of sin and convictions, but I would like to point out that this verse has an implication that people still did not have a firm understanding of why we are covered by grace. You hear the phrase, we do not have a license to sin. But I would like to take this a step further. Do we have a license to ignore biblical expectations? We are, in fact, ambassadors for God, called to be as witnesses for the sake of saving the lost. The Bible gives us much instruction on how to do so this side of heaven. All I'm saying is we should trust the word for what the Holy Spirit has intended. With that, I would like to discuss the topic of what a biblical church should look like. First off, I hear a lot about the model of the early church, which was clearly under severe persecution. The magnificent message of the gospel was clearly not hindered and was spread with much fervor and occasionally in large numbers. Our modern American church is clearly under a different culture and is a direct result of years of evolution. It is, however, the same entity as written in the canon. I think by now we understand that the church is not a building, but rather a gathering of believers. The Greek would imply that the church was called out and for a purpose. 
There's a resurgence of interest in modeling the early church from the standpoint of operating out of homes. While I realize there is much debate on what the early church actually looked like based on biblical and extra-biblical manuscripts, I'm not really interested in delving into this specific topic at this time. What I want to discuss is the heart and character of the church. It would be so much easier to identify the church as one big entity, all-inclusive and universal with autonomous functionality, like a big force against the enemy of this world. But it's not really that simple. Why does it feel like, apart from church bodies that are somewhat like-minded and doctrinally in agreement, it seems like churches treat each other like gangs? Interdenominational churches tend to stiff-arm each other based on doctrinal differences, but beyond that, Similar denomination churches seem to have a devotion to their particular congregation, and it's almost seen as offensive to migrate between churches. There's almost an expectation that once you find a church, you are spiritually bound to remain at that particular location. There's an almost guilty feeling of pursuing a different church gathering if it doesn't seem like a fit for your spiritual needs. Sounds selfish, doesn't it? I would contend that if the church was more spiritually minded according to the teaching of Scripture, this might not pose as much of an issue. Can you really blame someone for desiring a church body that they feel models the scriptures? Again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I understand there is no perfect church, and to be spared the old church joke, if you want to find a perfect church, then you need to remove yourself. But I would suggest that choosing a church body is foundational in our purpose and well-being. In these perilous times, With much distraction and false doctrine, churches are becoming increasingly difficult to discern. Our family has found through many years of traveling in the military that this can be quite a daunting task. I will be giving some testimony on things we have observed through the years for the sake of illustration. Perhaps this might be beneficial to someone who has never had to experience this as they have been with the same church for their entire life where it's almost seen as a badge of faithfulness. But to those under different circumstances, this can be very challenging, as we have had the frustration of finding ourselves on the outside looking in, almost coveting the opportunity to have had the same friends and growing up in the same church. Integrating into a church can be somewhat of a challenge, as human nature tends to be self-preserving. Fellowship is a hallmark of the church. Acts 2.42 states, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Fellowship is something to be desired by most of humanity. Society will pursue this in so many areas of life, such as fraternities or even gangs. Its very notion is even listed as part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yet I feel, ironically, this is where the church suffers the most. It would be naive to believe that the enemy would not seek to divide the church. But to understand fellowship, this requires some consideration on what this might look like. Our modern understanding translates to various structures where everything is orchestrated to incorporate door greeters, waiting around for service to begin, while mostly associating with people who are familiar to us, leaving the task of greeting unfamiliar people to the professionals. Introductions and announcements, worship, prayer, the message, closing, all within an hour to an hour and a half. People might visit for a bit and then meander on out the door back to their normal lives. If you belong to a heavier Bible teaching based church, you'll get to enjoy a Wednesday night and Sunday night gathering. Beyond this, we leave the walls of Christian security and go back into the war zone, hopefully equipped to make it through another week and meet again next Sunday with people 
who won't offend our convictions for the most part. Fellowship occurs within a structural compound. It brings to question, was there a more personal and intimate gathering of believers in the early church for the simple fact that apart from having synagogues of the day, they met mostly in homes? Scriptures tell us of Christian converts increasing at an exponential rate where meeting in homes would become insufficient for regular use. Acts 2.46-47 states, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I'm not specifically trying to focus on the mechanism for how Christians meet, but rather how personal their relationships are. I once heard someone say, if you're going to church to have someone to have a friendship with, you're going for the wrong reason. I was taken back by this comment. While I understand there is a purpose in the gathering of the church for the sake of the Great Commission, I would contend that relationships between Christians are an integral part of our existence. Jesus stated in John 13.35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As a homeschool family, this can present a further challenge as our children are not embedded within a secular government and state-controlled gathering of children their age. As a working adult, it is inevitable that I will find myself surrounded by non-believers in a secular culture, but my wife who stays at home with our children has an inherent need to fellowship with like-minded believers. Based on our personal scenario, it would seem crucial to the Christian life to develop friendships apart from the secular world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 states, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness share together, or what does light have in common with darkness? We have found ourselves in the past with unfruitful attempts to engage in meaningful relationships in the church. Christian-based homeschool groups, which are typically few in number, presented a challenge for us in the past alongside an unfruitful church search. Our children had no choice but to seek out secular homeschool groups that potentially compromised personal convictions we had on what our children would be exposed to. Based on our conviction and being obedient to the word, we had to pull them out of these groups and continue to search for Christian-based fellowship. We watched our kids' demeanor change during these times and was met with a question from them, why even go to church? This is painful to hear as a parent, especially when you're trying to train your children up in righteousness. I began to ask myself, do Christians really know how to fellowship? Even despite this emerging movement of home gathering groups, the heart of the people still remains the same. There is something that really hinders the intimate nature of friendships within the American church, and the only thing I can reason is an obstacle I addressed in a previous YouTube video called The Church and the American Dream. I think sometimes as Christians, our primary focus is not being the church, but rather setting ourselves up for worldly security and success. I'm realistic and understand work is necessary, and scriptures tell us a need for caring for our families. But just how far does this extend? The typical scenario looks like this. Nice cars and houses in great neighborhoods with college savings for children and a lucrative retirement. These come at a cost. There's nothing inherently wrong with these things but a matter of how we pursue them. In order to achieve the so-called American standard, certain jobs with particular demands are an inevitability. The standard cost of living requires both members of the household to afford such things. I spent years pursuing greater gain in the status of the military and was unfruitful, 
only to realize that I was surrounded by much competition. It was then that I had realized that my focus was on things of the world rather than what was truly important. The world is extremely competitive and it will consume you. Children are raised and trained with a majority of their time being indoctrinated by government institutions. Extracurricular activities such as soccer and football, which personally for our one income household life, were generally unattainable for financial reasons. These are pursued for the sake of fellowship and possibly character enhancement for a professional life. It began to be a running joke with our family on how busy church people were with their personal lives that they would inevitably have an excuse not to meet outside of these structured, organized church gatherings. Church members would state, we need to have lunch sometime or get together, which would never come to fruition. I would then become more intentional with statements like, how about today and meeting up? It was usually met with discomfort and comments like, well, we have some things going on today. Then perhaps out of guilty obligation, we'll have lunch or something, maybe afternoon conversation, never to meet again other than small talk prior to church service. Out of the long weeks of life, we truly only spend a handful of hours gathering as the church. I would even take it a step further and state, how much edification and godly conversation do we have during these brief encounters together? The bottom line is that we as the church are too busy with non-kingdom-minded affairs I'm not even going to discuss the preoccupation of entertainment and its distraction in our lives. There's much I can discuss in this episode regarding the orderly conduct in church gatherings and how it is to be conducted. However, churches seem to be very well versed in church gathering execution. I'm after the heart and character like previously mentioned. My fear is despite the fact that there is an orderly worship fashion, are we just going through the motion? This concern was addressed in Revelation for the church in Ephesus. Revelation 2, 2-4 states, I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Christ-like character is the love for another as many parts of the body. Whether we are scattered about through various churches or homes in the local area, or even seen as a global entity to include foreign missionaries, we are called to serve one another in love. We are called to gather in his name. Matthew 18:20 states, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Let's move away from our comfort zones and desire new people to be added to our family. This may require approaching new folks outside of our standard sphere of influence. Fellowship extends beyond a handshake and door greetings with initial introductions. Discipleship and life investments are expected. Go beyond the initial introductions and get to know people. Everybody has challenges in their daily walk. Be there to encourage and be a presence in time of need. I encourage you to invest in one another and focus on kingdom-minded building. There's so much more that I can discuss regarding this topic, such as the call of older women training the younger women, specific areas of discipleship in these matters. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Perhaps I will re-engage this topic at a later date. For now, I would like to thank you for taking time once again to listen to my podcast. Take care, and may the grace of God go with you as the church, the salt and light to the world.